Welcome to the Gamer's Tavern, and yes, this is actually episode 23. There were some audio issues with this episode, and I've done the best I could to make sure that you can hear all about superhero games. And I'd also like to welcome our new assistant editor, Nicholas Jaworski, to the Gamer's Tavern family. Nicholas is hard at work right now on episode 25, which is the next episode, so that we can get back on schedule and move forward with some of our secret projects, and so we can avoid future episode numbering confusion crap. (sighs) Now, I'd also like to address something about this episode. We record this episode on February 25th, 2014. In this episode, we talk extensively about the work of legendary game designer Aaron Alston. Two days after we recorded, Aaron collapsed while attending a convention and passed away that evening. Our praise for the man was sincere, and we did not know the tragedy that would happen two days later. So this is not us remembering, this is us talking about the man. After the show, we actually were talking about, hey, we need to email him to get him on. So... We also lost two others close to the gaming and podcasting world recently. Legendary artist David A. Trampier and podcaster for the Critical Glitch Shadowrun podcast and GM to the stars, Stephen Tinner. The thoughts and prayers of Gamers Tavern go out to their families and loved ones. So let's raise the first glass of the night to the memory of these great people. And we'll be back at the table in the corner to talk about superhero games after this word from our sponsor. Did you think the spirit store was only open during Halloween? Well, I've got some news for you. The perfect place for that hard-to-find accessory for your newest cosplay, unique home decor for your LARP, that awesome prop for your D&D game, they've got it all. Whether you're on a budget or you're looking for the highest quality product you can find, Spirit has what you need. Just go to the show notes or to gamerstavern.org and click on the affiliate link to support the show and find that perfect item now. Hello and welcome to episode 23 of the Gamers Tavern podcast. I'm Ross Watson, your host. And I'm Daryl Mott. And tonight we have with us two exceptionally skilled designers, some people I am just incredibly thrilled to be talking to tonight, uh, Mr. Scott Benny and Mr. Steve Kenson. Hi. Hi, everybody. Great to be here. Thank you guys for coming on the show. Now, it's really funny because Daryl's like never played a superhero game in his life. Nope. (laughs) And actually, if you look at my history of gaming, like the majority of it is in superhero games. So (laughs) this is going to be a little bit of a lopsided show tonight. Uh, (laughs) Fair enough. But I, you know, speaking from both Daryl and myself, we're just really grateful to have you two guys on because you guys both uh, have a really exceptional list of accomplishments in the gaming industry, not just for superheroes, but for, you know, many other genres. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, How many years of superhero gaming do we have between the three of us? <laughs> Probably I think that a lot. would be an embarrassing amount. <laughs> well, at least 20 plus for me. And anytime champions gets brought up, the conversation gets derailed on the yeah. show. So. I, I think it, it's quite possible we might have enough superhero gaming between the three of us to collect social security. And that's kind of scary. <laughs> <laughs> two of us might be that. Yeah, any two of us, in fact. But yeah, the less said Daryl. about that. <laughs> so the first thing we do when we bring new people onto the Gamers Tavern is we ask them to give us their gaming character sheet. Just to briefly tell the listeners who you are, what you've done, 
Why don't we start with uh, Scott, Mr. Scott Benny? Could you tell us about your gaming character sheet? Okay, well, I first was published back in 1981 in Dragon. I did this silly little NPC class called the Bounty Hunter, which for some reason they accepted. And uh, over the course of years, I contributed to Champions, Mutants and Masterminds, D&D, Marvel Superheroes, and uh, a few other fine games. Uh, I've done a lot of supplement work and world building. A number of villain books, classic enemies I edited and basically revised from the ground up. The both editions of Viper I co-wrote and uh, Villainy Amok. Uh, for Mutants and Masterminds, I did Agents of Freedom. And for D20, I did a book called Testament. And you've also written some for uh, video games as, as well, right? Yes, I worked for Interplay Productions for about 10 years during the 1990s. So you worked on the original Fallout? Yes. Was it also Starfleet Academy for the Star Trek series? Well, I worked on base Star Trek 25, Star, Star Trek Judgment Rights, Starfleet Command, and Starfleet Academy. So Mr. Benny has an incredible resume of geek knowledge ranging from Fallout to superheroes to Star Trek. That is incredibly impressive, sir. Well, thank you. Although <laughs> with gaming Alzheimer's set in... Uh, I'll just sit, sit back and uh, probably forget everything. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, we will never forget you, that's for sure. All right, uh, Mr. Kenson, can you tell us about your gaming character sheet? Well, I spent most of my points very unwisely. Uh, <laughs> they're, they're in all sorts of really impractical skills, and I am in no way optimized. <laughs> I started writing professionally in the, the industry in 95. I started working um, freelance on uh, projects for Shadowrun. Woohoo! Yeah, right? And later branched out to um, Earthdawn, Fass's, um fantasy RPG that was linked in with Shadowrun. And after that, pretty much I pretty much freelanced for about 10 years. So I, I worked on pretty much everything under the sun at the time. So I you know, wrote stuff for White Wolf's World of Darkness, for Kindred of the East, for Mage, for Feng Shui. Um, Mummy. For I did some stuff for Feng Shui. Um, I did a whole bunch of stuff around that time. Even um, Torque. Yep. I, I did get very, a couple of small bits in for Torg, which I'm glad for because I, Torg has long been a, a favorite of mine. Very difficult and, to play, but a very interesting game. Mm, oh, I always found it actually fairly easy to play, but I guess that's, <laughs> it's just a matter of, of personal taste. But, well, your reading comprehension is a little higher than mine. Uh, we've just so. recently tried <laughs> to play so. it here in uh, Austin. We enjoyed it, but it was very difficult to find like, which page is that on? And how does this, right. <laughs> a lot of that was going on. Understood. Yeah, the, the rule book was not the most accessible in that regard. Then I uh, did some D20 work for uh, this little company called Green Running Publishing, and that led to my designing Mutants and Masterminds uh, for them. Uh, for probably the last 10 years or so, I've been primarily working on projects for Green Running and Mutants and Masterminds. Uh, I did development and design on Blue Rose uh, a bunch of D20 stuff, some stuff for Dragon Age, that sort of thing. But uh, did find time to do uh, another superhero game for some reason called Icons. Yep. That I, I designed, like a lot of my projects, kind of as a, a hobby thing uh, just in my spare time. Because apparently what I do with my spare time is work. <laughs> <laughs> and 
or at the very least, I find occasionally find ways to turn my my hobby activities into sellable products from time to time. I've uh, done quite a number of, of uh, superhero games, especially over the past 10 years or so. And I'm a huge comic book geek and, you know, fan of superheroes since childhood. So I, it's, I it's a favorite blog. genre of mine. I'm sorry? I followed your blog where you've done some write-ups of the uh, Justice League. Yes. Uh, the, the Paul Dini Justice League uh, series. So. Yes. That would be on um, stevekenson.com right. uh, where I, I was doing... RPG breakdowns of it was pretty much what's what it's like to be in my head while watching a, a superhero cartoon because um, I'm of course analyzing everything from an <laughs> RPG perspective and going oh how would I build that mechanic and how would that work and oh we definitely got stunned there and you know yeah all sorts of really geeky stuff like that. Well, I'm going to goob out over Scott Benny some more later on, but um, I also want to let the listeners know uh, Steve. If you remember, there was this dinner we had several years ago between you, me, and uh, Pat Sweeney. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about, we were talking about San Angelo. And that was actually really inspirational for me. That, that was, mm, a, me too. In my very early career as a game designer, I always remembered that dinner very, very fondly because I was sitting next to some people who knew a heck of a lot about world building and superheroes. And it was just, it was wonderful. And uh, we got a chance to catch up at ChupacabraCon just mm-hmm. uh, last month. We did. It was and a fun little con. Absolutely. I, I encourage anybody who's at a con with Steve to walk up to him and introduce themselves and, and chat with him because he's a really interesting guy to talk to. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank super you. cool. So so there's that. And lastly, I think before we jump into uh, the next bit, it's fair to say this show, Daryl and I both. Now, this is something Daryl can weigh in a little bit on. Sh- oh, yeah. Shadowrun's huge for both of us. Uh-huh. <laughs> and just looking at your list of things you wrote is kind of like the greatest hits of the books we like. So thank you. That's like you and Nigel Finley. Oh, well that's, that puts me in very fine company indeed. Yeah. uh, Dunkles on secrets, uh, underworld mob war, uh, super Tuesday, uh, awakenings, magic in the shadows. These are some really fantastic books. And of course, uh, Daryl and I are in an actual play of shadow and fourth edition, which you also had a hand in. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Actually the, the underworld book was my, Sort of one and only opportunity to sort of work with Nigel because he had passed right around the time I started freelancing for Shadowrun. So I had only had the opportunity to meet him once. But the Underworld uh, source book is actually based uh, on an initial draft and outline Nigel wrote, partial draft and outline that Nigel wrote, that FASA gave to me to finish so we're we're essentially co-credited on the book. So it was it was sort of my one opportunity for, to sort of collaborate with him, uh, which was really you know both uh, both thrilling and kind of intimidating at the time. That's that's awesome. But we have a show. We I mean we could talk about Chowderin probably all night, but that would be, <laughs> that would leave Scott out in the cold. So we need to bring him in. We need to talk about the the famous dice rolls, uh, Mister Benny. Can you tell us a story of a really memorable dice roll, hopefully from a superhero game? Okay, well, I think the, uh, the one I most remember was this uh, one time playing Champions. I was, I was playing Baby, who basically was a, a 20-year-old uh, kid trapped in the body of a, uh, a baby because his <laughs> aging process was one, was one month every 10 years, and... Uh, it was kind of the inverse, the instant uh, adult. <laughs> and he was basically going to be a, a Superman when he grew up. 
but because of his reduced aging, that would be centuries down the road. But anyways, we were, we were in Wayne Shaw, who's a good friend of mine, was the, the uh, GM, and we were facing up a very tough group of, uh, of villains. And so I used the, essentially the, the eye beams, the, the X-ray vision, the, the heat vision, and I blasted this brick house uh, by the name of Pyramid. And I rolled and I rolled four, five dice and rolled four sixes for the body and then <laughs> six for the, the stun multiplier. Wow. And for anybody uh, who doesn't know champions, that is a hell of a result. I think that's a one in every 6,000 or, or so. Yeah. Being, having damage reduction, I didn't even stun him. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right. Oh, you're robbed. Uh, what about you, Steve? Do you have a great story to tell about a die roll at a superhero game? Well, technically speaking, it's a series of die rolls. Oh. But to, to, to set this up for those who are not familiar, uh, Mutants and Masterminds uses a system of accumulating penalties for damage because you, you roll resistance checks, much like uh, saving throws when you're, you're dealing with damage. So the, the least effective damage is that you, you take a, a penalty to your resistance checks and that accumulates and eventually, you know, damage will wear you down to the point where you're, you're rolling pretty poorly. And I was, I was in one Mutants and Masterminds game against uh, a player uh, who was playing a, a growing brick character. This player in my group is infamous for, for having on-demand luck when he needs it in games. But this particular instance, his character was, was hanging in this really difficult fight with, with one of the um, really tough villains and was accumulating these hits, uh, you know, that were penalties to his, his damage resistance checks. And they kept accumulating and accumulating. And, uh, finally he got up to a minus 11 penalty. Wow. <laughs> to his damage <laughs> resistance checks, which on a D20 is fairly massive. Um, and it was, it was larger than anything I had seen happen in all the time I had been running or play testing the game. Uh, he was long since out of hero points and was still somehow making the rolls successfully just on sheer determination and was always rolling just enough to keep him in the fight. And he finally, uh, you know, he, he finally won the, the fight. And I thought, and the whole table just spontaneously broke out into applause because it was just such a dramatic, yeah. you know, a series of die rolls. We, it couldn't have been better if we had planned it that way. That's one thing I love about dice and role playing game. They can sometimes tell a story all on their own. Oh, absolutely. Wow. That's, that's fantastic. So really quickly, just before we jump in the main topic, uh, what have we been playing lately is something we like to talk about. Uh, I'm going to start with, uh, Mr. Benny again. Uh, Scott, what have you been playing lately? I've been in two Pathfinder campaigns and I've got a, a boarded uh, Pulp Hero game. I just think that uh, I would like to restart. And, I'm prob- and I've been playing a lot of uh, MMOs, uh, particularly Champions Online, so I get a bit of a superhero fix that way. Sweet. And Mr. Kenson, what have you been playing lately? Let's see. I uh, have been running Ghost of Dragonspear Castle uh, for my group, which is D&D Next. Um, we, we just put an 
Icon's game on uh, temporary hiatus so I could run Ghost of Dragonspear Castle, as a matter of fact. And I'm playing in a friend's uh, Shadowrun game, as a matter of fact. Nice. Um, <laughs> which is the, the first time my group has, because uh, my group got kind of burned out on Shadowrun at one point. And so this is the first time we've been playing Shadowrun in a good couple of years, and it's it's been a lot of fun. What edition are you playing? Uh, we're playing fourth edition. Okay. Uh, Daryl and I are also playing in a fourth edition game right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's been fun. We've got an actual play that we do every weekend, uh, Mm -hmm. at this point and we're on our fourth game coming up. Isn't that right, Daryl? Nice. Uh, yeah, we're starting our fourth game is going to be this weekend. Uh, it's going to be a nice little while before the audience gets to hear that one though, because I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm chopping them up. So yeah. not everyone's not getting like three and four hour podcasts every mm. week. Yes. So. And, uh, actually I've got my character sheet up on the site. So if you're curious, Steve, you can go take a peek at my tiny stereotype. <laughs> I'm playing a pixie shadow runner. So. And Daryl, what have you been playing lately besides Shadowrun? I haven't been playing anything, but I do want to talk about something that my childhood friend, he's one of the guys I gamed with for forever. Uh, he has been playing in an AD&D second edition game. And I've been kind of nice. helping him out with character advice. And he was wanting to do a uh, thief cleric, but couldn't quite figure out how to get the cleric part in there. So he just went with thief. Rolled all ones for his money. Oops. So he had the choice between buying a crossbow and armor or buying thieves tools. In second edition AD&D, you go with the thieves tools. Sure. So he's running around in street clothes with thieves tools, trying to basically get up money. And he is being the biggest kamikaze ever. He's got his little dagger, because that's dirt cheap, just running up and stabbing people as quickly as he can to try to take them out (laughs) as fast as he can. And he's doing pretty well with it so far. But the biggest one was uh, the DM apparently got tired of that and had the uh, two longsword wielding guard charge at him. And he took a piece of advice that I gave him that I got from uh, No Antwaller Spoonie on his uh, Counter Monkey show, where he had a bag that he had basically lifted a vase off of someone's table when he was there, crushed it up into glass powder. So when the guy charged at him, he reached into the bag, pulled out a bunch of glass powder shards, and threw it at the dude's face. Nasty. Natural 20. Ouch. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Unfortunately, the screaming pretty much alerted the rest of the guards in the area mm. so they all came soon but wow. but he survived that's the important thing and especially low level AD&D and uh you know just be clear Scott Benny wrote a bunch of second edition D&D stuff Islands of Terror Book of Lairs uh he wrote the uh Wild Elves for Dragonlance and the Old Empires uh supplement for the second edition Forgotten Realms nice yeah those were uh back in the old days <laughs> oh yeah I was doing a lot of freelancing for uh, Bruce Hurd and, and TSR at the time and almost got into the into the company. Well, this was kind of a rite of passage for Champions Riders back in the day. I mean, ask Aaron Alston. You know, he got to start doing the uh, Complete Book of Ninjas <laughs> and uh, a lot of supplements for uh, uh, Greyhawk before he ended up uh, doing a lot of uh, Champion stuff. So The Dungeon Master's design kit that Aaron did oh, is something that sure. I recommend to any anyone it still holds up uh 25 years. absolutely I, I i could not agree more i treasure my copy and if if uh anybody comes across one i strongly advise you to pick it up it's nope. it's well worth it what is the title of this product again the dungeon master's design kit dungeon master's design kit okay i'm gonna have to put that yep. on my ebay want list yeah. yeah no one does world building like aaron oh that's uh, true you know and he he just has a terrific way of summing up 
fairly complex processes into these just great recipe lists. That he is make it, everyone's uncle for advice on role building. Absolutely. And running a campaign. All right. And speaking of, uh, so talking about Aaron Austin, of course, we're going to have to talk about superhero games because Aaron's probably well, best well known for his work on Champions uh, as well as his uh, Star Wars novels. So let's talk about superhero games since we have these two great superhero game guys with us tonight. And I'm going to throw a question out there for you guys, uh, that Scott and Steve. Uh, what makes a superhero game a superhero game? <laughs> and the reason I, I wanted to talk about this is because you can play pretty much any game in that style. There are a lot of Shadowrun and World of Darkness games that were played more like superhero teams mm-hmm. than they were the straight urban fantasy or sure. cyberpunk fantasy. So what, what makes a game specifically a superhero game to you? Fair question. Um, I guess, you know, as far as I'm concerned, the, the thing with superhero games is, you know, the, whether we're talking about superhumans or are we talking about comic book superheroics? And there are certainly lots of games that do both to one degree or another. Um, in fact, one of the things about superhero games is by their very nature, they have to be extremely broad because, uh, you know, comic books were so, you know, you got aliens, time travel, uh, you know, know, everything from the pulp adventure stuff to even, you know, alternate dimensions full of magic and mystery and all that stuff. Exactly. I mean, comic book writers, you know, were, were guys on a monthly deadline. And so they would cram any crazy idea they could get, you know, into comic books. So, Pretty much everything, you know, is in, in the comic, especially the, the main comic book universes. So, you know, I guess to me, it's, it's really a matter of, I, I tend to be, you know, uh, more of the sort of comic book superheroics when I want to do a superhero game, but there have certainly been exceptions to that. I enjoyed both uh, the setting and running White Wolf's Aberrant for quite a while, which is, is in some ways, you know, sort of the, the antithesis of comic book superheroics. So, you know, you can have a lot of fun with the, with the, you know, just, you know, people with superpowers, you know, and how does that shake out, uh, sort of scenario. But for me, I guess what makes a superhero game a comic book superhero game is some degree of fidelity to the source material and some at least nod either mechanically or in the setting or ideally both to the idea that this is supposed to be like a comic book. Okay. That's a really, that's a, that's a very good answer, I think, to that question. Mr. Benny, what would you say about that? Well, I, I'm pretty much on, on board with Steve on that. I think that does your campaign adopt the conventions of, of a comic book? Uh, do you accept that prisons are going to be a revolving door? Mm-hmm. And, and rather than being a good fantasy character and killing off the bad guys, uh, as, as your main convention for, how do you deal with the, the, the problems that are set forth in, in the game? Okay. So I would, I would offer this maybe as a, as a temporary, uh, maybe just a placeholder definition, but uh, any game that either embraces or subverts superhero tropes as known in classic comic book format. Yeah, certainly any game that is in one way or another based on those tropes, whether, like you said, it's the idea of, of supporting them or, or playing around with them, subverting them. Like a Barrett would say, be subverting, for example. Yeah, yeah, because certainly Aberrant was the, about taking a lot of those tropes and turning them on their heads. 
as far as that went. And I think that one of the marvelous things about superhero RPGs in particular is that because they are divorced from the the other demands that come with the creation of comic book stories, which are usually commercial and marketing-based, you can do some very interesting things within, even within the greater context of a superhero story. I think that Scott's Gestalt campaign is actually a brilliant example of agreed, that. Agreed. Agreed. Completely agreed. You know, it's it's a, it's a superhero setting very much, but without the necess- without the necessity of you know we have to keep Superman and Spider Man as recognizable characters month to month. There's there's so much more room for character growth and for characters to have real impact on the setting because you know it's your setting so you can do whatever you want with it. Well, you just brought up a really interesting point, and I wanted to, this is a question I actually wanted to ask to both of you as well. From my understanding of superhero tropes, you know, from the comic books that I've read and, and, and my exposure to it through things like Justice League, Justice League Unlimited, Young Justice, etc. Um, my question is this, is character advancement as we know it in an RPG really necessary for a superhero game? I don't think it's necessary. I think that you can uh, have perfectly good campaigns with uh, static characters, but there should be some element for change because mm-hmm. in any game in any game you're going to get people who are tired of the status quo and who want to evolve their characters in one way it may not necessarily be in power or skill but they will want some mechanism to handle change right so evolving the character i can totally get behind that yeah. uh, but i think i think as rpg players we get used to the idea that we're going to become more powerful over time and I well, think I that's think, where yeah. superhero games really – go ahead, Steve. Well, I was going to say that that idea is ingrained just from the, the early structure of games like D&D where they're based around the, you know, farm boy, you know, becomes heroic champion. Zero to hero. Right, type of <laughs> mythology. The, the Joseph Campbell hero's journey. Right, right. You know, whereas, whereas superhero comics by their nature prefer a status quo – for the most part. And I, I completely agree with Scott that, you know, it, there, there does need to be some kind of mechanism for change, but it's not necessarily going to be advancement as such. Uh, in, in fact, oftentimes in the comics, change can be completely lateral. You know, it just goes sideways yeah, or it can, it can be even, you know, where characters will regress in some ways. Yeah, that's true. And, I mean, I, I, I'm with you on that. And I, I think, I just think it was an interesting point to bring up about, because we are talking about RPGs, you know, as, mm-hmm. as the mechanism by which we engage with these tropes. So, okay. And I'm going to go to another question about sort of general things about superhero RPGs. What is it that you guys love about the genre specifically? That's a long list. <laughs> you know, pick the top two. I guess for me, my favorite things about the superhero genre are, one is is its sheer just dizzying breadth. It's, it's what I, I think Alan Moore is the one who who called it, um, it. It's full of mad and beautiful ideas. You know, it's just it's the only genre where you get you know the you know cyborg sorcerer mutant from the future teaming up with the 
princess from the, you know, secret mythological city and the, you know, alien with weird mental powers from a uh, civilization in another galaxy. And it just goes on and on and on. Did you, and just, it's team just, up, did you just team up Princess Amethyst, John Jones, and Cyborg Superman? <laughs> Quite possibly. <laughs> yeah, that would all fit. You know, I mean, it's... it's I would read that comic. Right? <laughs> you know... It's, it's, it's just, it's such a creative, you know, genre in that regard that you, you just, people can let their, their imaginations go as far as that goes. And, uh, you know, I'm frankly kind of a, a goody two shoes. So, um, I, I like the heroic qualities of, of superhero games as much as I, you know, I was struck by, you know, talking about, you know, D and D games. And I love D&D. In fact, like I said, I'm running a D&D game right now. But I'm struck by how, taken out of context, a lot of descriptions of our D&D games, if people didn't know we were talking about a D&D game, would easily get us arrested. That's uh, true. Because we talk- I got some strange looks at the office the other day when I was talking about my shat- the Shadowrun game that Ross was in last week. I was explaining what I did. Mm-hmm. Which you and guys then I will find shot out the security soon. guard twice in the chest. Right. <laughs> and, you know, so. And I'm sitting there talking about how I'm going to get away with the crime. And, yeah. Yeah. And so many RPGs to one degree or another are based on the characters basically being, you know, professional violent criminals. Murder hobos. Murder. Yeah. Murder hobos, as people call them. So I, I do like the, I do like the heroic quality of superhero games i like the fact that the the characters get to be heroes and they get to save people and you know do good deeds and things like that what about you mr benny well for me it's it's kind of this odd combination of the uh real world and topical themes it's contemporary Mm -hmm. but it's also mythologized so it's kind of like you're 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 put, putting larger than life characters in the, in the real world setting. That for me is kind of an interesting little dichotomy. Uh, just uh, how how the superhuman and how the mythical sort of superheroes clash with the uh, contemporary setting, and it just leads to some interesting conflicts. Leads to some some stories that uh, that that can explore themes in, in the world. The heroism is also a, a huge part for me, I, I guess, because we don't really get a chance to to be as heroic in our real life. We can give to charity. Mm-hmm. We can express outrage over some of the world's injustices, and, and that's great. But uh, we, we can also imagine ourselves putting on tights and going out there and doing something about it. And that has a tremendous appeal to me. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, for me personally, I would say it's I, my favorite thing about it is the, the ability to be larger than life. You know, we, we've talked on the show about the way that things like giant robots can make you feel like you're, you know, a god. Well, being a superhero is kind of like being a god. You can, you know, do things no other man can do and, you know, lift enormous weights and fly through the air. It's just there's there's something really empowering about that, too, even just in your imagination to be able to sort of perceive that you're able to do those things. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, well, okay. That's, I think we've, we've covered the basic topic of, of superhero RPGs pretty well. Let's talk about some specific RPGs now. And just like I kind of goobed out over Mr. Kenson and his, his Shadowrun pedigree, 
Scott Benny has written, in my opinion, the majority of the awesome books you can find in the Champions lineup. Every single book Scott has worked on is one of my favorites, just about. <laughs> Villainy Amok, the original uh, Viper for 4th edition. Uh, Gestalt, which we've Steve and I have already explained how awesome that is. Uh, just there's a ton of great books from uh, Scott. I just wanted to make sure and point out to the listeners that if you have, or if you're a fan of Champions and you've read a really book that you thought was memorable and cool and exciting, there's a good chance that Scott Benny worked on it. Mm-hmm. And for the record, if you're a fan of, frankly, of the superhero genre, much less whether you like Champions or not, you should be reading Scott's books. Uh, totally agreed. Um, because one of the great things about superhero RPGs, one of the other things I like about them is that they're so adaptable because you can plunder things from other superhero RPGs and adapt them very easily for whatever particular game system you happen to like. You know, when I was first, you know, when I was but a wee gamer and I was first running superhero RPGs, I, I got my start with the um, Marvel superheroes game, the original uh, TSR one. Oh yeah, we're going to talk about that too. <laughs> uh, but I wasn't running a game set in the Marvel Universe. I was stealing stuff left and right from Champions and Villains and Vigilantes and Superworld and every other superhero game I could get my hands on and making this this weird conglomerate setting, you know, that was just a blast. So, you know, yeah, I mean, that's one of the great things about superhero games. Whether you like Champions or not, you know, Scott's books are just a great read. <laughs> I'm going to single one out. I have to uh, because I'm just a nerd and I love Scott Benny's stuff. Uh, Champions in 3D is one of my favorite books of all time, of all time. And one of the best parts of that book is this one particular exploration of a common superhero trope, which is where you go to an alternate dimension where all the heroes are villains and all the villains are heroes. And it was called Backworld. And this particular exploration was penned by none other than Scott Benny. So kudos to you, sir. I, I treasure that book because of that specific part. I mean, all of it is good, frankly, but that part is my favorite. Well, I, I, I'm very happy with that book, but uh, for me, it's uh, Scott Heine's uh, Dream Zone and mm. and, and Alan Varney's uh, Horror World Anopheles uh, stuff that is probably the <laughs> one of the darkest and uh, most fun horror things ever <laughs> written for superhero <laughs> genre. Yeah. Well, the thing about Champions, it's according to my notes here, it's the longest running superhero RPG line mm-hmm. uh, since it's been. Yeah, Villains and Vigilantes came out first, right. but it was out of print for a very long time. Yes. Champions has never been out of print. Well, it's mm-hmm. gone through some rockies per se. Yeah, there have been a couple of moments. <laughs> Even right now is kind of a rocky moment um, yeah. for Hero System, but it, it's fair to say that it has been around a long, long time. Yes, indeed. July 1981. Yes. And it's gone through six editions as of this point. I think the way I would describe Champions uh, is that it is a game tinkerer's dream. It's all about taking the points of the game and finding a way to build the character that you want, exactly the character mm-hmm. that you want. However, you know, that great strength is also a bit of a weakness in that it's a very complex game and it has a very high, I would say, a very high entry point. Yes. Well, it's a high-level superhero role-playing language. It's a computer language in which you model characters essentially mm-hmm. and then let them lose. Well, I've often said that character creation is its own mini-game, and you win by making the character that you want. I would say Champions' mini-game is possibly one of the most challenging and most rewarding of those particular types of activities. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and, e- and each of those, you know, sort of character creation mini games comes with their own, uh, you know, styles of play and their own genres and things like that in a lot of regards. Right. You know, the, the, the character creation system for, say, Traveler is its own fun little mini game where the whole point is actually to get your character out alive. Right. <laughs> and young uh, and, enough to still see the galaxy. <laughs> right, right. I was going to say, and below retirement age, you know, so that you still get some adventuring years left in you. You know, but it has its own, you know, rewards and challenges to it, you know. Was Champions the first one to use a point-by-based character creation system? One of the first. Uh, may have been the first, but... Cer- uh, certainly the most elaborate, I would say. Uh, the first one I remember uh, using it was the Fantasy Trip. I was just going to say. Now, the Hero System has some things I think that are it, it, important to note. Although it, the Hero System as a whole is a generic system that is apl- applicable to any particular genre. Well, the it, Hero System has become a generic system. Well, that's, that's what I was just about to get to because it began as a specific superhero uh, game, which was Champions. Mm-hmm. It, it has some very specific superhero things to it that I think very few games really do or focus on quite as much. One of my favorite things about the hero system is the presence attack. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scott, can you tell us what a presence attack is? Well, basically it's uh, when you're acting intimidating and when you have a moment where the where you perform an action that will get the uh, everyone to tr- drop their jaws in disbelief, do a dramatic entrance, go up to the... Uh, the toughest thug and one punch him and say next. Okay. I, I I just love that there's rules to look awesome, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Uh, so that's what like a, a spe- special feature of the hero system is the idea of a presence attack. I think some other games have have done some similar things to it. Uh, can you think of any, Steve? Oh, lots of games have adopted social mechanics like the presence attack since that time. Honestly, a lot of the intimidation rules. Uh, that started out in the D20 system that found their way into mutants and masterminds are essentially based on that pedigree and the idea that there there should, in fact, be a game mechanic um, for that kind of thing. Um, it's pretty common now, but it was it was extremely innovative when Champions first did it. It's interesting you say pedigree because uh, not too many people are aware exactly just how much of an impact and an influence Champions has had on the modern, modern RPG market. Yeah, I'd, I'd say Champions is probably one of the top five most influential RPG designs ever. Well, I'm going to give you a quick example. There's a guy who was, I would say, one of the main architects of the D20 system mm-hmm. uh, named Monty Cook. Yep, who worked for Burrow for quite some time. He did, in fact. And I actually spoke to him at Winter Fantasy Con back in uh, 2000. And uh, he told me, he said, yeah, we, we based some of the things we worked on for third edition on some of the things from Champions. And Monty was my editor on the original Viper. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so you can say Champions is uh, an influence on D twenty, which is probably you know the huge. If you do that Venn diagram, it's like the huge heart of the market. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and a lot of uh, supplement and world building design can really be. You can really point at uh, Aaron Alston's Lands of Mystery, Strike Force, mm-hmm. or Justice Inc., and say that's where. That was the first. That was where a lot of the ground rules were set. Yeah, and yeah. Strike Force is, is Aaron's book that kind of codified a lot of uh, really great GMing advice and, and concepts about what your players mm-hmm. are into and things like that. So, yep. So, yeah, it's super influential. I would agree. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, not uh, we could spend the whole show talking about champions. Honestly, <laughs> trust me, I'm I'm such a champions nerd. Um, I, I almost want to bring up every single book Scott ever worked on and just go into it in depth, but that would be unfair. 
so I will just say oh, that, all for that. <laughs> I will just uh, hit another couple of quick highlights. Champions had a section where it kind of had a, a sub game, Dark Champions. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the few superhero games that tried to tackle a more Batman the Animated Series type feel. And uh, Dark Champions became its own line in 4th edition, and, and the creator of, of that particular approach, uh, Steve Long, eventually became the line runner for 5th and 6th edition. Um, so you can sort of trace an interesting, sort of trace an interesting influence that that had on the, uh, the evolution of the game. Mm-hmm. And uh, lastly, just to quickly go back again and just one more time hit Gestalt's uh, brilliant setting, and it has one of the best villains ever made. The Blood Red King, who is the mm-hmm. Gestalt of Murder, and has actually shown up in a game as recently as a couple of months ago. One of my friends said, I'm making a bad guy, and he is the Blood Red King. And I'm like, well, you have chosen wisely. Mm. <laughs> he's, he's essentially the boogeyman of the setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, you, if you wanted to say, what if the Joker could uh, basically cause people to bleed and, and suffer and die at will, and that, that's kind of the blood red king, which is not a very comforting thought, but he <laughs> makes a great uh, antagonist for the uh, PCs to fight against. Yeah, I yeah. would say there's there's only a few really good bad guys you can pull out of the superhero RPG markup and, and say that they're memorable and, and, and mm-hmm. impressive. And the blood Absolutely. red king's one of them. Yeah, no, there's a great deal to be said for a, both a villain that the players will love to hate and a villain that just absolutely terrifies them. Well, that's a big part of world building, wouldn't you agree? Ooh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, you, I always believe that you should really have a very big variety in, in, in villains. Mm-hmm. And you should have, should be able to accommodate a lot of different tones from a yes. scenario to something that will curdle <laughs> your blood to something that will just get the, the adventure pumped up. Just something mm-hmm. that will, will elicit some sympathy. You know, I'm actually going to skip ahead on uh, Daryl's notes here. He had some really great notes, but we've been talking about some some interesting things about pedigrees. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important if we're going to if we get off on that topic, I think we should really bring up some um, some of the older games. Like, let's go back to the 1979. Let's talk about Villains and Vigilantes. That was my first superhero game. This is, uh, of course, illustrated by Jeff D. Yep, a local Austin guy. And I, I assume both of you are. Uh, I know Steve has played it. Uh, Scott, have you played those Vigilantes? I, play, I played it. It was never my favorite game, but I did love the supplements a lot. Mm. So, and when you talked about rifling from supplements, basically a lot. I don't know, Doctor Apocalypse and uh, right and Crusaders <laughs> and all that. Those were all very heavily <laughs> lifted by uh, Champions players. Crisis at Crusader Citadel. Yep. They all looked like comic books too. They had this gorgeous well, cover. That was that was exactly it. And the back yeah. always had a little like comic strip of like oh, what was happening. That. Yeah. Had a, was that the one that had the comics card authority seal yep. on it or was that a Well the com- the covers were designed to look like Marvel covers basically in a lot of ways. Now to to get back to what I was saying about pedigree, what's really interesting I think about V&V, Villains of Vigilantes is one of the uh, early writers on this was Bill Willingham. And Bill went on to become a very popular, very well-respected comic book writer uh, through the Elementals and Fable, right? Fables? Fables. Yeah. yeah. 
you know, it's 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 always great when you can look back at the RPG industry and find it's, somebody. Yeah. Speaking of of pedigrees, one of the the a very young at the time, Tom Dowd worked Ooh. for Fantasy Games Unlimited, and Tom is one of the three co designers of Shadowrun and That's the right. game's first line developer. Mm-hmm. Yep, I'm a big fan of Tom Dowd. I've I've read his novels, so. <laughs> well, you've got you've got a lot of really successful writers coming out of the uh, industry. Scott Sigler, I believe, is a a, a very highly respected mystery writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris Avalone is arguably the best uh, writer in the computer game industry. He's been on the show before. We're a big fan of Chris. Mm-hmm. Now, did you say? Did you say Scott Sigler? I think it was Scott Scott Sigler. There's a there's a guy. Uh, he's a really good author. I've read called Scott Sigler wrote the uh, Galactic Football League, and uh, if he was a, a an RPG guy, that would be just awesome. Uh, we're, we're everywhere. <laughs> it's true. I think he was part of the uh, fabled Scott Squad. Uh, <laughs> and and which RPG was that for? For True Champions. No kidding. That is awesome. Well, you know, okay, I think I think this is probably a good time to segue into yet another one of these old games that uh, has an, a pretty impressive pedigree. Are you guys familiar with Superworld? Oh, yeah. Very much so. <clears throat> Superworld's great claim to fame is the fact that it's responsible for wild cards. That's right. The wild cards novels uh, where George R. R. Martin really hit the big the big time before yes. Game of Thrones was uh, yep. him taking the local gaming group that he had been in with Superworld and taking those stories and saying, you know, we should really write about these guys. Mm-hmm. Actually, George told me the, the the genesis of Wild Cards over dinner at a diner at New York Comic Con some years ago when we were first talking about the um, Song of Ice and Fire license, uh, which also led to Renine acquiring the Wild Cards license um, for Mutants and Masterminds. And he basically said that uh, because his his circle of gaming, you know, gaming group at the time were, were largely fellow writers. Yes, and uh, he said that their their super world game was sucking up so much of their time and creativity <laughs> uh, that they basically collectively said, "We either have to stop because you know we we can't get any work done, or we have to find some way to make some money off of this." Wow, <laughs> uh, and thus Wild Cards, you know, was born and was uh, pretty successful. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that is now. I have never played Superworld, so can either of you guys tell us like what that game is like? I haven't. I don't have a lot of experience with Superworld, but it uh, you know shares a a common ancestry with ultimately with with um, a lot of the other Chaosium games like RuneQuest. Yeah, oh, and ElfQuest and all that stuff. Okay, right. It's originally part of Worlds of Wonder, mm-hmm. and, and Steve broke it out into its own separate game. Indeed. Um, so there's a lot of percentile-based stuff, amongst other things. It it shows its age uh, in that regard, um, but it's still also one of the early, you know, sort of point-based character design systems that was built around really being able to customize your characters. It also had one of the earliest kind of relevant modules with Bad Medicine for Dr. Drugs, mm-hmm. which Ken Ralston wrote way back in the uh, yes. 80s. And it's yep. still uh, an, an interesting module. Okay, uh, I just wanted to cut in real fast. It took me a minute to research this, but the Scott Sigler that you're thinking of, Ross, did work on Villains of Vigilantes. He did Champions Presents number one, apparently. Wow. And Shadows of the City. Mm. 
think he did. Shadows in the City. Uh, yeah, and those were his two credits. Wow, fantastic. Okay, then yeah, that's that's and that he is awesome. a horror author. He wrote. He was one of the first uh, podcast authors. He released his novel as a podcast audiobook. Well, if anybody out there wants a recommendation, Scott Sigler's Galactic Football League is a pretty incredible read. So go check it out. You know, okay, so we were talking about um, percentile dice, and I'm going to take this as a, a I'm going to take ruthless advantage of that to make a <laughs> uh, to make a segue into the Marvel superheroes game, the TSR Marvel superheroes game that's probably best known by its acronym Face Rip. Face Rip. Yes, the unfortunate acronym Face Rip. <laughs> <laughs> I always have to clarify. I mean this in a safe for work way, not 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 uh, Eli Roth movie way. <laughs> Now, of course, face rip is an acronym that stands for all the different uh, attributes in the game. It's, it doesn't mean you're literally ripping off faces. Scott Benny might be able to give us an idea. Like, what can you tell the listeners? What is what was that game like? It's a very uh, nicely rules light, especially for its time. Mm-hmm. By, by Jeff Grubb. It's uh, yeah, it's been been so long since I played it. <laughs> well, I can help you out. Well, it came but, in all these like uh, little. Everywhere. It came in all these books that you can put in like a like a binder, right? Like a clip binder. Well, so you that can was have just like one binder holding. All that the was books. later on. Actually. That was the handbooks oh, later okay. on. You see, I would argue. Okay. I'd argue that that Marvel superheroes was one of the most brilliant superhero game designs ever to come along. And why I is that? admire it greatly. Well, it it really you know for the first the time. Genre. I'm sorry. It reinforced the feeling of the feel of the genre. Yes, the the stats, stats. Very much so. Like Fazeret stands for I'm trying to remember the fighting, but, agility, I've, strength, I've, endurance, reason, intuition, and psyche. Yes, very good. And uh, the 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 scores go from feeble to amazing to monstrous. Yep. Yeah. Rather yeah. Than- it's, it, it, the game has a combination of, like Scott said, you know, just elements reinforcing the genre all over the place. From the rank descriptive names to the karma system, which was very innovative for its time, which basically rewarded players for acting heroically and for fulfilling their various subplots, but also penalized them for acting unheroically. Um, and I think that in some ways, the, the total loss of all your karma points for killing someone in the game may be one of the greatest superhero reinforcement mechanics ever created it's clearly a silver age game <laughs> um well and it was it was designed for for marvel's you know universe in the late silver sort of early bronze yeah, age I would agree with of that, comics yeah. but you know you even had the which i always adored the team karma rules yes those were great. if anyone on your team killed someone your team lost all its karma and the rule, the rule describing this literally said, now you know why the X-Men are always holding Wolverine back. <laughs> <laughs> it did have uh, some really great things that I love. It had very broad power descriptions. Yep. Like if, if you, if you had ice generation, you could basically do anything you can imagine with ice, ice generation was in there. You know, that yep. was in that one power. Yeah. And then they had the, the really great power stunt. Uh, yep. Which I, this is the first time I've ever seen that, which was basically a way for the player to get creative. Uh, well, Steve, why don't you tell you know tell us what you would remember about the power stunt? Well, yeah, I mean, Mar- Marvel superheroes was essentially the first superhero RPG that had some kind of uh, you know in-game mechanic for for power stunts, um, which is literally what they were called in the game, where you could 
you know, spend karma and have some weird off the wall, innovative use of your character's powers. That was a really effective way of dealing with all of the, the, you know, essentially plot devices that showed up in the comics where a writer would come up with this one-time thing that this hero would do that would never show up again. Right. Players would be like, well, I want to do that thing. You know, if I'm, I'm playing Nightcrawler or Captain America, I want to be able to do the thing that he did in that, you know, because it's, you know, everybody playing the game as a comic book nerd would be like, I want to do the thing he did in issue 123. You know, this, that was really cool. So the game, you know, had a had a system by which you could actually do that. And, you know, to me, you know, pretty much any superhero system I've been involved with, you know, professionally has to have something <laughs> like that. Oh, and I it, think that's great. It's a must. Now, if we were saying that uh, Daryl brought up the idea that you could put everything in a binder and that was actually a later thing that they did with yes. their uh, handbooks to the Marvel Universe, yep. uh, of which uh, Scott Benny worked on quite a few is that right uh yeah i work on the first four and on a couple of the annuals and by the time that we were finished doing the annuals they thought we were scraping the bottom of the barrel <laughs> <laughs> yeah i still have a giant binder full of those but it, but it was great you got to to update some of the characters uh, and just uh, and just explore things now i don't think you can talk about marvel superheroes without bringing up one of its most fantastic and well-loved source, source books that I don't believe has ever been equaled. The Ultimate Powers book. <laughs> oh, Ultimate Powers. Uh, I assume, Scott, you're familiar with that as well? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, you know, rather than have me go on about it, because I can, would, would, wouldn't you guys like to tell the listeners about the Ultimate Powers book? It was just a, a compilation of every single power trick or device that, that you could think of using powers in the comics. It was your basic super smorgasbord. If you wanted to find an obscure power, you could go in there and there, there would be. It was just a, a wonderful and very thorough grounding of, of what powers were in the comics. And, of course, it really capitalized on one of the strengths of the Marvel superheroes game, which some people also see as a weakness. Random character creation. Oh. <laughs> and you could just roll up the craziest characters from the and ultimate the powers. And the crappiest. Book. And the crappiest. Well, some of them, you know, some of the crazy ones are the crappy ones. And yet some of the crappy ones are the fun ones. So. Yep. I, I get very turned around on that. I still remember rolling up a plant life form with martial arts supremacy. <laughs> so New York was then patrolled by the mighty shroom. <laughs> you know, the, the thing I love about the random character creation stuff in superhero games, and it's largely the, 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 the one largest reason why I wrote icons. In fact, um, which embraces random, which completely is based on randomly rolling up superheroes is both my initial love, you know, in RPGs was was rolling up characters. You know, when I first got my, um, I actually started out with, with Gamma World of all the superheroes, uh, all the RPGs. And before I convinced any of my friends to play it, I must have spent hours just randomly rolling up characters, weird lists of mutants and <laughs> stuff like that. And the thing I loved about the the random character generation and i i saw this over and over again when i was playtesting icons with different groups i would blind test it you know at, at 
conventions and things like that. I would just, you know, get a group to sit down and play with me. Didn't know the game at all and say, okay, we're going to start with rolling up characters was that people again and again would say, wow, you know, I would have never in a million years, if you had sat me down cold with a piece of paper, come up with this character. But yeah, there's they, something cool about that. Yeah, but they would come out with these really creative ideas that would, would take this weird random collection of things and put it together and make sense out of it and have this really cool theme to it. And, you know, it took them a whole of, you know, 20 minutes. And sometimes when you get those random... I mean, if you get a randomly generated super badass that can shoot like massive optic beams, you're now playing a character where every single thing you do is, okay, I shoot it. Mm -hmm. Okay, I shoot it. Okay, I shoot it. But if you have all those weird little random powers that are seem underpowered, you have to get creative and think of cool ways to use them to be effective. So it gives you more to do. That's definitely Marvel superheroes. And there was, of course, uh, a number of Marvel superhero games after that one. Um, a TSR came out with one more that was a saga based, based on the, that's right. the, the system oh, that I came up that. with I for Dragonlance Fifth Age. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I never played any other Marvel game besides the Jeff Grubbs original. So I, I will say that Marvel Saga, uh, a.k.a. the Marvel Superheroes adventure game, um, is a lot of fun. Now, that's not the one with the stones. No, that was the third Marvel game. The Marvel that's Universe. That's the one Marvel them, yeah, that's what Marvel yes, themselves Marvel put actually out. put that up themselves. Well, they, I think they subcontracted to it. Yeah, they did. Okay. So I just didn't want people to think there was a bullpen of, of comic book writers putting together their game. Because <laughs> right. that would have been kind of awesome. <laughs> um, but no, they subcontracted it to another, uh, another game designer. Mm-hmm. And this is the what was called the Stones Edition. Yep. And then the most recent one, of course, is from Margaret Weiss Productions. Marvel, Marvel Heroic. That's correct. That's this is the this is the one I've actually come the closest to actually playing. I've read the book on this one, and mm-hmm. there's one thing I've got to say about Marvel Heroic. Uh, it had one of the coolest twists on an initi- initiative system in combat mm-hmm. I've seen. It felt very very in the genre of comic books, where it's instead of you, you, the player's role in initiative die and the GM rolls an initiative die, and then whoever takes their action then decides who goes next. So, like, if I'm a player and I play, okay, I do this, and now I'm going to pass initiative to, I can either pass it to one of my teammates, so we all go in a row, or I can pass it to one of the bad guys to do something, but... If we all go in a row, yeah, we can all chain together something awesome, but then all the bad guys get to go all at yeah, once. I think I just, and then they get to decide who starts off the next round, so on and so forth, which is kind of which is kind of a really cool thing. Hi, this is Rich. And Amanda. For Animation Celebration. This July 4th, come on down to the convention. July 4th through the 6th, Moody Gardens Hotel and Resort and Spa down in Galveston, Texas. We're going to be set up with concerts, vendors, artists, and a lot of gaming. All the usual convention fun and Robert Schwab. Robert will be doing an exclusive epic D&D gaming night with six players per night. These six players will be able to sit down and have a closed session with food, drinks, and unlimited supply of Doritos and Mountain Dew for that whole session. This will be some pretty awesome gaming with one of the creators of Dungeons & Dragons. What happens in the room stays in the room. We'll have a lot of other good VIP games going on. What we have, Munchkin, Warhammer, Cards Against Humanity, official tournaments for Magic the Gathering out, awesome prizes to win for our main concert night outside. Fourth of July, there's 
there's even a fireworks show set up with our bands, the Cybertronic Spree, all the way from Canada, dressed up like the Transformers, followed by Unknown Henson from Cartoon Network's early Kyler on Squidbillies. Pick up your tickets online while you can. This resort has never not been sold out that weekend. We recommend you book early. The web address is www.animation-celebrationgalveston.com slash home. Tickets are on sale now. We look forward to seeing you all there. Let's come back into the show, and we had just kind of gotten done talking about the Marvel RPGs, not that. Well, I, w- I wanted to talk just a little okay. bit more about Marvel Heroic. Okay, uh, like so, this was Margaret Weisen. I I really really loved this game and felt it kind of went too soon. It was one of my favorite licensed products that they've that Margaret Weiss has worked on, and that that's a big part of their staple because mm-hmm. they do Leverage and Firefly and Supernatural, lots of other stuff. Smallville. Yep, yep. and I I just really wanted because like I said, that initiative system was just so it's it's one of those things when you see it, and it's like. Okay, why hasn't anyone done this before? This is brilliant. It's brilliant and simple. It was elegant because the game balance is kind of built into it. I agree, it was elegant. So, and just the way everything else. Another thing that is, as far as I remember, it may have been one of the other books I didn't have. They had no way to create characters, and like there was no character creation system. Nope. You played a Marvel superhero, and here's the character you play, and it gets rid of the problem a lot of these games have, which is uh, game balance between characters, which is kind of a comic book thing because, well. Thor isn't exactly balanced against Hawkeye. But they're on the same so. team. And sometimes Hawkeye is the yeah. leader. You know, it, Marvel really is probably one of the best systems to, or well, not systems. Marvel's one of the best settings, though, for that kind of play where you are basically taking on the role of one of the characters in that universe. Because Marvel has such an incredible stable of characters in its universe that it's incredibly easy to find something. If you're looking for something obscure, you can find it. Hell, if you're looking, what are they at? Like eighty or ninety named mutants alone, members of well, some X. That's after they cut them down considerably as well. <laughs> just, just the point is, is that Marvel's a very rich world for just selecting a, a well-known character and playing either him or a descendant of him. Mm-hmm. I'll give you a good example. A friend of mine is running uh, a Skype game, uh, which is the Avengers Next Generation. And we had a ball researching characters and creating like, you know, children, sons and daughters of, you know, the well-known characters from, say, the 80s, uh, the Steranko era um, Avengers. Well, that's one of the the themes we touched on in uh, DC Adventures when we did it for Green Ronin was the that, you know, without, you know, overstating the point, because it's an RPG, you can finally do all of the stuff in that universe that you've always wanted to because it's your universe now and you don't have to be beholden to the comic book continuity if you don't want to. And if you want to, you know, create a universe where, right, you're playing the kids of the Avengers or you're playing the next generation of mutants at Xavier's school, you can do that. And you can play around with any parts of it that you want, you know, however you want because it's it's yours to do. That brings us to the the guys across the street from Marvel, which is uh, DC Comics and the DC role-playing games. Yes. Of course, the first one being uh, DC Heroes from Mayfair back in the day, 1980. Yep. Uh, 1985. Yeah. Yep. Same year Crisis happened. <laughs> well, and, and this is actually a big deal for me because that's how I got into comics was through the Crisis on Infinite Earths. 
mm-hmm. and the Who's Who books. And, and basically, George Perez is my entry into comic books uh, through his artwork on that stuff. And I got into DC Heroes through that as well. So my very first superhero role-playing game was DC Heroes. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a great entry point for anyone. Absolutely. Well, what is yeah. it about DC Heroes you, you guys really remember, What the things you love about it? Well, DC Heroes was designed by the brilliant Greg Gordon. Of um, Torg fame? Yes, of Torg and Earthdawn fame, amongst others, as well as um, James Bond 007. And Greg has just a great eye for really clever game design. One of the things that he did really well in DC was both the, the logarithmic scale of the game that allowed you to compress vast cosmic numbers into manageable sizes and the the way that they then took the logarithmic scale and used applied it across the board to everything so everything in the game was measured in that currency very consistent right exactly so it was very consistent and it was very easy to use in terms of you know figuring things out you know as far as if you needed to know how long does it take superman to fly across the solar system that you could plug in the numbers and figure it out, you know. So a quick quick question for the people who didn't quite take math beyond Algebra 2. What exactly is a logarithmic scale? Uh, essentially, the way DC was set up was every every step in an ability doubled its its relative value. So a character with a strength of three was twice as strong as a character with a strength of two. And a character with a strength of four was four times stronger than a character with a strength of two. Cetera, so therefore, eight times stronger than someone with a strength of one. Exactly. You know, so, okay. so that you could actually have a scale where you could measure both, you know. So each each step was, in, was exponential. Exponential, indeed. Much. Okay, I got it now. And so you could, have a, you could have a scale where, you know, you could measure the strength of Jimmy Olsen and Superman and not have numbers in the six or seven digits. Well, is he giant standing in the sky turtle boy, Jimmy Olsen? Well, you could measure that, too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, and of course, DC Heroes um, had a long run. It had I, I won't say it had nearly as many memorable um, sort of supplements as the uh, Marvel books did, unfortunately. But can you guys remember anything special about the line that, that you wanted to bring up about the uh, DC Heroes line? They did a really great Watchmen source book. Yes, that's true. Yes, yeah, so that's a good yes. point. In fact, for the longest time, that source book contained the only other canon information for about the Watchmen series that was approved of by Alan Moore that was not in the Watchmen comics. Alan Moore approved of something? Alan Moore, uh, there's canon material in the, the DC watch, uh, the DC heroes Watchmen source book that was, was approved. That's amazing. Make of that what you will. You well, know, I mean, I don't know what he thinks about it. These Alan days. Moore hates everything. Well, <laughs> there was uh, several well, sorts of books yeah. about like the Legion of superheroes and yes, they did a good job, I think, of covering like the main beats of their universe. Uh, mm-hmm. That's that's fair to say. Yeah, Mike Stack did a terrific um, sidebar in the Batman source book, appropriately entitled "Is Batman Insane?" <laughs> and I liked I liked their descriptions, uh, particularly of how Batman accomplishes things. I will never forget some of the descript they, the way they talk about Batman's intimidation technique is to you know rise up slowly in a light so his his silhouette falls over the bad guys. They had another example of, you know, not giving up. And they said, well, if Batman's frozen in a block of ice, he doesn't pout and say this isn't fair. He struggles to get to his laser on his utility belt, mm-hmm. which I thought that's brilliant. <laughs> and, and that's in the Batman R.I.P. 
series that came out recently kind of played on that too, didn't it? The comics, I mean. I did not read those, so. Uh, and they also did an ambush bug source book. Oh my god, yes, that's okay, indeed. right there, that's awesome. So. <laughs> so, so do you guys know anything about Blood of Heroes? I have a copy of Blood of Heroes, as a matter of fact. Because uh, I'm just reading on the Wikipedia page that apparently uh, they, Mayfair, they didn't have the license to DC anymore. No. To the comic characters, but they sold the game system to Pulsar Games. That's correct. Who released Blood of Heroes with all original. And apparently there was some confusion as to whether or not they had the license to these game system as well or not. Mayfair had it mm-hmm. to be able to sell it or whether DC owned that like a work for hire. But uh, they, they produced uh, two editions of that. Yes. Yeah, I actually own a copy of that. Yeah, it was basically the same system. Is just it was divorced entirely from from DC from the DC universe. Yeah, and uh, let's see, we have the DC universe role playing game from West End. Mm-hmm. And Great how different was how different was that from the the original? It was pretty different um, because it was largely based on um, the the D six system essentially the legend system the Star Wars D six D six legend yeah which which yeah. owed its its ancestry to the the Star Wars RPG Greg and uh, Ghostbusters before it as a matter of fact and yeah it was it was based on the iteration uh, that was used for the Hercules and Xena RPG it was interesting in a number of ways but also unfortunately a bit uneven in that. You know, amongst other things, you you had to. Uh, I mean, it made it made champions look you know dice light in some regards. <laughs> uh, oh God! Because you know you would you could potentially be rolling you know thirty two d six for Superman's strength. Uh, I'm a Shadowrun player. That's nothing. Well, yeah. You know. it, later source books, as I recall, tried to clean some of that up with some you know sort of automatic mechanics of just saying, well, if you've got X number of dice, you just you know add this much and don't roll those All right. sort of a thing. But well, um, let's get it was, to, it was an ahead. interesting game. Let's get into something uh, a little more recent. DC Adventures, which you just brought up a little bit ago. Mm-hmm. And DC Adventures was a Green Ronin's uh, DC game mm-hmm. that you worked on quite a bit. As, if I'm I did. Okay. I did. The biggest, it, to, like this game was, was cool, but I think the biggest impact it had on me was um, its unfortunate timing. Well, DC actually seems to have a history of unfortunate timing when it comes to RPG licenses <laughs> uh, because the first DC Heroes game premiered the same year as Crisis on Infinite Earths. Right. Um, and the very first edition of DC Heroes was pre-Crisis. All the characters in it were had their pre-Crisis stats. Uh, part of the reason that the game had a exponential scale was because it had to accommodate pre-Crisis Superman. Uh, it was the, you know, the cover... Uh, you know, of the game was this just great George Perez piece of the the heroes um, dominated by Brainiac's big skull spaceship, the tentacles, yeah, with the tentacles. You know, which again was you know pre-crisis. Uh, you know, within months of of the the game hitting the shelves, DC completely blew up their whole universe. Sounds familiar, yeah. doesn't it? <laughs> so right, I was going to say this this story will will come as no surprise to folks when we came out with DC Adventures while we were. Halfway working, halfway through the first Heroes and Villains books, um, DC announced that they were doing New Fifty Two, and all oh, those Heroes oh. and Villains became completely different. <laughs> we got plenty of questions, you know, about you know how we were going to handle that, and they, you know, the simple answer was we're not. <laughs> you know, 
Um, we we continued on. As a comic fan, I must say, good call. Very well, good. There, Very there good really, call. there was really the only call to make, so far as that was concerned, because there at the time, even now in many regards, was literally no possible way for us to accommodate the new 52 stuff because we didn't know anything. And uh, um, it's still developing. And, right. I was going to say, uh, you know, to this day, now what, three or four years later, in many regards, we still don't know anything. <laughs> yeah, well, you that's, know, that's, that's kind of a telling point, I would say. As well as far as as far as describing anything other than what has been shown in print, right? One of one of the key things, you know, about New Fifty Two was the idea that it was going to reset everything, and you know, that there's it's a whole other podcast as to the degree of which that actually goal was accomplished. But yeah, um, you know, as far as source material was go was concerned, DC was not going to tell us whether or not we could do a write up you know, about Tim Drake's history because I, they may not have known what it was themselves because it hasn't been written yet. Now, DC Adventures was based on Mutants and Masterminds. Yes. DC Adventures was based on Mutants and Masterminds and was in many ways the genesis of the third edition of the game because when we were initially in talks with DC uh, we, and we had, we had proposed Mutants and Masterminds as the as the backbone system, which DC was totally on board with, but DC wanted a standalone game. A, they wanted a DC Adventures role-playing game. They didn't want the DC source book for Mutants and Masterminds. Right. So we had to do a new core rule book for the game. Ah, uh, licensing. Hooray. <laughs> well, that's, you know, hey, it's DC's, DC's sandbox and they, they yeah. get to decide who gets to build in it. Um, I'm very familiar with, uh, with how that works as well. So, yeah. So, the fact that we were going to have to do a new core book anyway was a, a good reason for us to clean some things up and make some changes and you know generally sort of nip and tuck and uh, produce what you know became the third edition of the game the hobby oh. evolves over time and you and these days you need a little simpler system you need to streamline things a little more mm-hmm. yeah and, and that's what what mmm3 and dc adventures does so well thank it's, you Takes the old uh, MMM two, which I loved, and uh, and basically reduces it in a way that uh, that just makes sense. It makes it's a good game for today's market. Yeah, absolutely, Thank I you. would agree with that. Um, but we have one more game to talk about for DC RPGs, and that, of course, would be Smallville. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, Margaret Weiss has like kind of an interesting uh, role is that her company uh, is probably the only one I know of that got both a DC property and a Marvel property. <laughs> yes. Uh, which is kind of interesting. Now, Smallville, though, of course, was not related in system to Marvel's, uh, the Marvel heroic role play. It was kind of a, it was a uh, iteration of the Cortex system. Well, I was going to say they're both Cortex iterations, but. Uh, one's Cortex and one's Cortex Plus, I believe. The, the Marvel heroic was Cortex mm-hmm. Plus. It's a, it's a, it's a fine distinction, I think. Yes. They're distant cousins. We'll, we'll go with that. Um, and of course, Smallville being Smallville wasn't really the DC universe. It was like a, it was very similar to it in many ways, but it wasn't mm-hmm. quite exactly the, the Marvel universe. Superman's Creek was based on, uh, based on the television series, the same name. And, uh, again, uh, unfortunate timing, uh, because Smallville came out right at the end, the game, sorry, the RPG came out right at the end of the run of the television series. Well, or fortunate, depending on how you look at it, because it at least <laughs> allowed the the game to have a fairly complete 
yeah, look well, back. At the I, I would say, yeah, that's a good point. Maybe it's maybe it's better to say that's a that's a fluke in the opposite direction. However, you know, I, I think they would probably wouldn't have minded if it had, the show had kept going while they had their book on sale. Just no, saying. Probably not. <laughs> um, some interesting interesting things about Smallville comes uh, again from Pedigree. I actually play tested Smallville, and the character creation system in Smallville is to some extent based on the Road Trader origin path that I created for my game. So there's and that. Life paths are such an interesting uh, character design technique. <laughs> well, I you know I, I I don't get to talk about my stuff too often on the show, so I just thought I'd point that out. That's all. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. But yeah, Smallville uh, was it was an interesting game. Um, I think it was uh, kind of started on that whole run where you have a lot of games that came out in the same time period, um, kind of like uh, Dresden Files and some of the iterations of Fate uh, that were based on communal storytelling and building the world and building your relationships was kind of a big part of that. Yeah. Well, and Smallville was was one of the first superhero, you know, essentially RPGs that uh, really took the position that it was the character's narrative weight that yes. the game system should be describing, correct, rather than their mechanical ability, their physical or mental abilities. You know, essentially everything game mechanics-wise in Smallville is based around what what is what's important to the character, right? Uh, you know, what really matters to them. So, in that regard, you know, from a game mechanics perspective, Clark Kent is just as powerful a character as Lex Luthor. Right. Because um, they're know, both vice important. versa. Exactly. In fact, since we're talking about um, superhero games, I want to plug uh, Sage Latora from Sage Kobold Productions has a new game out called Powers for Good. That's, uh, it's just out in PDF on uh, RPG Now. But it, it also takes that same, essentially the same approach uh, in the sense that basically all the characters have the exact same game stats. You all have, every player has the same pool of dice, hmm. but, but what you do with them is, and essentially how you describe what your character does is, is their, is their superhero quality. Okay. The, the, the game mechanics, however, everybody has the exact same mechanical weight or value. Right. Um, so whether you're playing Hawkeye or Thor, you're rolling the same dice and you have the same impact on the story. But how you describe that impact is different. That's interesting. I do like that. It's an intriguing uh, approach. It's the Avengers movie. How many scenes does Thor have compared to Hawkeye? Hawkeye. Mm-hmm. It's not the same ratio as you would expect, say, given their difference in powers. Right. But they're, because they're both important, they get this a similar amount of screen time. Maybe not the same, but similar. Mm-hmm. Well, right. okay. Black Widow and, and Thor. Yeah. That matter. More than Thor. Yeah. Very important. Very important. I like that. Yeah. So it's an intriguing approach, you know, where, where you're looking much more at the, the character's, you know, sort of narrative value than their, you know, how strong are they? How smart are they? Qualities. Well, let's, uh, let's move on from DC, the big boys, DC and Marvel. Let's talk about some of the more original stuff that's out there. I, I want to go again, kind of go back like chronologically and just brush on a couple of games. I want to talk about, uh, Heroes Unlimited very briefly. Uh, this is the Palladium one. Mm-hmm. Um, Heroes Unlimited, uh, again, kind of embrace the random character generation. Have you guys uh, played Heroes Unlimited? I've never played it. I'm afraid I've read I've it. it. 
Never was a good, good Palladium fan. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's it's fair to uh, say that there, there's challenges in, involved in being a Palladium. I, I've looked at the the Century City book source book, and yes, I, that may be the first great city source book for agreed superhero game. Century Station is the book. Century you're Station, about. yes. Yeah. Yeah, here, here, Heroes Unlimited gets gets points for Century Station, if nothing else. And I've waxed eloquent about Century Station on my blog. Bill Coffin wrote this beautiful setting for Heroes Unlimited. And, and, and the most important thing about it, in my opinion, is that it creates a situation where the player characters as superheroes uh, need to be and are incentivized to be proactive in cleaning up the city. Mm-hmm. Which not a lot of settings have. Uh, most most of the time, you know, your typical paradigm is uh, we're going to sit around the base and wait for the trouble alert. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the nature of the right. source material. But in Century Station, that's not actually the case. The the adventuring paradigm in Century Station is we have a ticking clock, gentlemen, and we need to clean up the city before you know the tanks start rolling down the streets. So mm-hmm. <laughs> we need to get out there. Let's pick let's pick a part of the town and go go clean it up. <laughs> Which that I sounds love. Pretty cool. Uh, this system that was this the same system they used for their Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game? Well, Palladium's systems are very similar across the board. There are a, minor differences. It was a version of that house system. Because I, I wanted to talk a little bit about that. Why don't you, I actually read the source why don't book you, for that. Uh, why don't you jump into that? You've got a whole section there for... Uh, well, it's, yeah, I, I wanted to talk about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game because there was some controversy around it because I don't know how many of our listeners have read the original comic book that uh, Eastman and Lara created. It was a parody of uh, both, I keep wanting to say Deadpool. It's the uh, it's the blind guy in all Daredevil. Red. Daredevil, thank you. I make that mistake every single damn time. Yeah. Well, he's Batman now, so. Well, it was, it was uh, based on a lot of <laughs> Frank Miller's. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that was a parody of that, and it was a parody of the Frank Miller and the sort of Dark Age sort of anti-hero stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was, the original comic was really, really kind of cool. And this book came out in 1985. One year later, a cartoon series came out called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yep. That was completely different in tone from the original. for children. Yes. And what happened was the, these books were still on the shelves. So Turtle Mania was sweeping the nation. And all these kids were seeing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game. I want this. Then they open it up and it's got that typical Palladium stuff in it, including the infamous mental disability chart or mental insanity chart, (laughs) which had all the stuff that, you know, it had like pedophilia and bestiality and all these weird uh, sexual things in it. Well, uh, and a lot of parents were upset about that. Now, I'm not saying it's a bad thing that that list was in there. Per se, I'm just specifically talking about the outrage that happened concerning. That. I want to say one thing about TMNT. TMNT is important for people who love TMNT in general because it has the original art from Eastman and Laird in it. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, I consider it to be one of the finest examples of a licensed property RPG in that it captured perfectly what TMNT was about. Oh yeah, and mm-hmm. it, it was like I said. I, I I haven't played any of these, but I have read. This is one of the few ones again. I've actually read this book. It is it captured that feel of the original Eastman and Lara comic very well, and I believe it also had a bunch of other things that were kind of tangentially related that were also involved in it that were very very similar in tone when it comes to. Well, that really dark and gritty sort of thing with anthropomorphic animals. We talked about this back in our discussion of Robotech, the RPG, but 
uh, like Robotech is a very poor example of a licensed property. It doesn't give you the feel at all of its particular IP, but TMNT totally does. Mm. And uh, that's all I have to say about TMNT <laughs> at this time. Now, Daryl, did you, did you want to brush over some of those other things in that category? Yeah, I, there's, I think we need to recognize that there were two Judge Dredd games. I just love Judge Dredd. So I know it's not technically superhero, it's, but it's comic. it is a comic book and you can you can make an argument for it. He is fighting on the side of justice. It's just his interpretation of justice is very much lawful neutral. Well, he's fighting on the side of law. Which is not the same yes. thing necessarily, but well, you ask him that. I, I certainly, certainly. <laughs> and the, and those that generation of British comics had a tremendous influence on what followed. Mm, Absolutely, not a doubt. And uh, it doesn't quite get enough credit for it, but 2000 AD is pro- one of the starting points for modern comics. This was the first one to start pulling in a lot of that really sharp social commentary as well. And that leads us to Hellboy. Which, uh, again, this is another game I have never actually... I've seen the book on shelves and that's it. But the only thing I really wanted to talk about this one is it is from Steve Jackson Games. And it is the only product I'm aware of where it uses the GURPS system but is not a GURPS book. Mm -hmm. Everything involved in Hellboy has this little logo on the back and that's it. It just says powered by GURPS. Yep. It's the only system I know of that does Well, it. actually, again, pedigree. Um, since we have Scott Benny on the show, it would be unfair not to talk about Fallout and its link with GURPS, at least just to mention that. Oh, dear. <laughs> well, Fallout's originally going to be a, a GURPS book. Uh, uh, basically, Steve got, got a look at the original opening movie for Fallout and hated it and didn't want his name on the product. But we thought that the opening movie was brilliant and uh, didn't want to uh, to move on that. And unfortunately, that led to GURPS being uh, decoupled from the project, which was a shame because I would love to have given GURPS a bit of a push. But the special system worked out very well and Fallout has become uh, a deserved as one of the great RPGs of all time. Agreed. But let's get back to superheroes. And although we, we can segue right from right from Fallout into Mutants with Mutants and Masterminds. See what I did there? Isn't that wonderful? Right. <laughs> uh, Mutants and Masterminds was unexpected in some regards. Um, I've, I've told the, the story of how it came about a number of times. And basically it was originally the the game system that I wrote so that I could get Freedom City published. Cool. I've heard of a lot of worse reasons to make a game. That's true. That's true. Um, but it, it, you know, in many regards worked out better than it, it deserved to. Well, I think it's, uh, I would say like look from an outside observer, uh, I, I think Mutes and Masterminds is probably one of the most successful ways to take uh, the D20 system and turn it into something very, very different from its roots. Hmm. Thank you. Uh, because it is D20 powered and, uh, it wasn't the first edition, you know, very, very uh, heavily based on uh, D20 as a as its well, foundation. It was. Um, I mean, the, my my mandate at the time when I was designing first edition was to, you know, to produce something that could be could be done with the open game license because right. was that was what was hot at the time, you know, pretty much. So the the game has sort of progressively shed parts of its its um, D20 legacy. 
uh, as time has gone on, as, as it's been sort of streamlined right. and, uh, you know, has, has ditched, you know, some elements of that. But yeah, it was, it was still very heavily based on, you know, the, the D20, you know, SRD essentially. Can you just give us a quick, quick rundown on what makes Meet Some Masterminds, uh, what's unique about it as a game? Well, the key things were, and, you know, my thing was, uh, you know, I was sitting down and going through the SRD and deconstructing everything and looking at it all from a superhero perspective and saying, how would this work and how would this not work and what can I do differently with it? The big key differences um, that came together were that the game needed some kind of point-based character creation system that had worked so well in previous superhero games like Champions because a class or template-based system was just too restrictive for superheroes because they're just all over the map. And although you can get some archetypes, players always want to come up with some weird off-the-wall thing. And there's always all these corner case characters that just don't fit. So it needed that, you know, instead of a class or, you know, template-based system. I ended up basically extending the saving throw mechanic from D20 to cover damage as well as all kinds of other hazardous conditions because the way d20 was set up was like well you have these hit points and then you have saving throws for everything else i said well rather than inflate hit points and damage and have to deal with superheroes having hundreds of hit points and uh, all of that i said why don't we just use saving throws for everything which was a nice elegant way to handle that thank you and uh you know it 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 did work well. It seemed to simulate the feel of the comics and it's, it, it, you know, was just a, a, a dam breaker in terms of simplifying a lot of design issues as far as how we we're going to handle some things. And you don't want the heroes to be dying and D and D is very right. good at killing characters, but not quite so bad <laughs> at knocking them out. <laughs> yeah, right. exactly. We, we did our discussion actually with Robert Schwab and uh, Bill Keyes. We were talking about uh, graphic content Mm-hmm. And one of the things we got onto a discussion of was like, you know, the, the violence and describing the violence in your typical D and D game and that kind of thing. And it's really, it's, it's kind of shockingly different to think about the, the way you describe violence in a D and D game versus the way you describe it in a superhero game. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, because, because of that, what have just, what just Scott just said, because that doesn't happen. You don't, you don't typically don't go around killing people. No, for fights, fights in D and D are very rarely, you know, not to the death. <laughs> And in a superhero game, you or you get punched through four different walls. You then get up, wipe a little, maybe a little trickle of blood off your chin, and right. then you charge back into combat. Right. Sure, cosmetics. Sure. Honestly, if you're a normal guy, <laughs> you know, I mean, really, I mean, yeah. even normal people in superhero worlds are incredibly durable. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Champions know. has a is infamous for that. Yeah, yeah. Well, and again, it suits the the genre. It does. It does. Uh, That's true. You now, know. Steve, I know you're super proud of Meet Some Masterminds, and it is a really great game. It has three editions uh, right now, plus, you know, DC Adventures. Um, but we do have a whole bunch more games to get to, so <laughs> for, forgive me if we uh, if we move ahead on that one. Um, one game that I wanted to bring up a little bit was it, it started off with, it was originally called Aeon. Then they got a cease and desist from Aeon mm-hmm. Flux, and it's the White Wolf game, which was uh, it was a three-part shared universe where they had the pulp version, which was called Adventure. Yep. They had the sci-fi version called Trinity. Which was Then Aeon. they had... 
Yes. Yep. And then they had the to the point where they had to like slap stickers over the original Aeon they did. logo they did, on the first printing. But in the middle, they had one that took place in modern day, which was called Aberrant, which was a superhero game. Well, yeah. it was, as Steve said, it was subverting the tropes rather than embracing them. Yes. Well, it showed up on Wikipedia's list. So. <laughs> well, I mean, it's true. I, that- I, still, I still consider a, a, um, Aberrant a superhero game of sorts. Well, based on our definition at the beginning, it qualifies. Indeed. They may not want to be thought of as superheroes. <laughs> yes. The introduction says we super friends. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes uh, aberrant was was subverting the tropes a little too much. Well, you could say that there's games that kind of followed in its footsteps as subverting the tropes, like Brave New World and Underground, mm-hmm. things like that. Actually, Underground predates it, but well, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, so you could say Underground blazed the trail, and then aberrant mm-hmm. kind of. Mm-hmm. Kind of came in it because I would say Barrett was probably more well known than it was. Mm, yeah, probably. I mean, it's, it's different market, but so what? Do you, what, do you, what can you tell us about what Aberrant is about as a game? Well, Aberrant, in a nutshell, is about our obsession with celebrity. Essentially, in my opinion, you know, it's it's really about the the fact that. You know, ostensibly, it's about characters who have power and what do they do with it. But really, it's it's it ends up being about the the sort of ironic statement that these characters have all this power and what do they end up doing with it? They use it to become famous and to <laughs> kick the crap out of each other on TV. Right? They're they're just sustaining the status quo. They aren't really changing the world. So, or they if they are changing the world, they're not doing it in a deliberate fashion. Right. They're doing it by the fact that they're by their presence, you know, which is definitely having an effect on the world. But it's not like a deliberate plan. It's just these giants stumbling around in the playground. <laughs> Daryl, did you have anything more you wanted to say about Aberrant before we move on? Or uh, one thing I wanted to talk about. It's one of the few times. Uh, the only other time I can think of is Vampire the Masquerade itself, where White Wolf released both a storyteller and a D twenty edition of the same game. Mm, that's true. Ah. And I also wanted to bring up something I just read, which made me go, ooh, just now. Uh, apparently, Onyx Path got the rights to Trinity Universe, and they're going to release a new edition of Aberrant. You know, it seems like almost every episode we bring up Onyx Path and what, they're, what they've got going on over there. So, <laughs> Well, they launch a Kickstarter every two weeks. So. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, I, yeah, you know, more power to those guys. I hope they, they get something going with that, because that would be cool. If you guys don't mind, I'm going to take another step back into the past. Because I want I want to talk about an older game that I think is worth discussing, Super Babes, <laughs> based on the Fem Force universe yes. of the comic books of the same name. Uh, l- listeners, we have an upcoming episode on feminism and gaming right. that we will be discussing a lot of the issues we're going to be talking about in more detail. So yes. let's just put that out there right now. Well, let me first ask Scott and Steve: Are you both familiar with uh, Super Babes? Uh, passingly. I know of it. Uh, I've uh, never had a chance to play. Well, to be okay, I, I guess I'm the most the most knowledgeable here then on that one. Super Babes is first of all, yes, incredibly sexist. Let's just get that out of the way well, right again, right it's away. Simulating the source material. Well, it is. I mean, it, it's to to the to, <laughs> to to in the defense of the game, which I'm not saying I'm defending it, but <laughs> uh, I want to say that according to what I'm reading on RPG Net, with the actual summary from the game, it's supposed to be a satirism, it, of, yeah, of mm-hmm. sexism in it gaming, is. where it's going over the top to point out how it, 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 it how it, it is, Daryl. But 
there's important things this there's important things to say about superbase um number one it does it does emulate the source material extremely well uh which there there's that but it also had a very interesting mechanic with a very unfortunate name uh, bimbo points yes now bimbo points okay the name is terrible but the concept was actually kind of cool because the concept was that you would essentially take it, it was kind of a way to put some narrative control in the in the hands of the player by taking penalties on things um and i thought it was a very interesting mechanic to kind of allow you to tell stories mm-hmm. steve you're familiar with this i am and you know uh, there there are a number of you know similar mechanics that are intended to to place more you know narrative control into players hands you know the hero points in right. mutants and masterminds are very similar in a lot of regards and mechanics like that have been around in one form or another, you know, for for quite some time. But there's, Super Babes was one of the first. It was it integrate. was definitely an early example of it, and I think there, you know, that particular type of mechanic has become much more common. I think that in fact there's a there's a whole you know sort of segment of the player base that insists upon it, yeah. you know, to some degree or another. I just think it's an interesting pedigree since we've been it bringing is. that up, you know, of, of the gaming industry that we owe we we owe a great deal of some of that to Super Babes <laughs> and no, Bimbo Point with your least examples. Uh, yeah, so I'm a. It's just a weird thing that I thought I wanted to bring out. Um, and just again, it's it's a it's a very quirky game that I nevertheless love because it's so quirky. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, I acknowledge it's so exciting. As, as long as we're, we're talking about older, uh, superhero games, I also, uh, think that, uh, one that deserves a mention is GURPS International Super Teams. Yes. yes. Absolutely. Put that on my blog as one of the, uh, one of the more interesting supplements. Uh, yes. One of, uh, an excellent world building yes. supplement. I've never even heard of this one. Oh. When- when you think of uh, some of the uh, groundbreakers in terms of the real-life powers subgenre of superheroes, I think Gert's IST is one of the earliest examples of that. I would agree. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I plundered that book mercilessly for <laughs> years. Um, unfortunately, we are getting pretty close to running out of time, and there's just so many other things. I'm just going to have to kind of list some titles um, <laughs> of some of the other things. There's games like Golden Heroes from Games Workshop. More recent stuff like Bash and Capes. Yep. Capes I find really interesting because it's a GM-less system. Right. And the description I'm reading, it reads a lot like Fiasco and how it plays. Right. There is, uh, of course, some of the oddballs that I've listed on my blog like Super Megatopia mm-hmm. and Superpowers. And there were some of the missteps, uh, like the Foundation and uh, Heroes That's Forever. The very first D20-based superhero game. Yes, uh, a good friend of mine did the cover art for that. There's Superhero 2044, which wasn't quite like a real game game, but it had some interesting... It was the first superhero was, RPG. I was going to say, right, it has the distinction of being the first superhero RPG. Though. Yeah, it did. I don't think it had character generation rules in it. <laughs> Uh, there, it was missing some parts, but yeah, I have was, to go back and look at my copy and see if I think it does actually. But my, my research indicates it was not like complete. It was mm-hmm. it was missing some fairly vital parts to be like a real game game, but um, very there interesting. Two books ever released for it. Very interesting nonetheless. Twenty Superior Twenty Forty Four. Some newer stuff like with great power, mm-hmm. uh, wild talents, which I forever and always refer to as girls gone wild talents. <laughs> uh. Kerberos Club. Uh, one I always thought was interesting but never really got to look at too deeply was called Meta Barons. 
Um, and then uh, some of my favorites are uh, in terms of like a concept or an idea of a way to play superheroes is uh, Necessary Evil mm-hmm. and Progenitor. Are you guys familiar with uh, – did any of those ring a bell? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Anything you guys wanted to say about anything on that list? Well, I, I – you know, again, talking about both world building and, you know, sort of, you know, superpowers in the real world, I always thought that Wild Talent's uh, ancestor, Godlike – was yes. you know a particularly brilliant yeah. um, example of that you know just of an alternate history you know of people with superpowers you know in a a very realistic equally brutal you know World War Two yeah uh, setting you know that really had some great ideas to I really like the them. world yeah yeah the world is just rife with ideas and I'm glad you brought up Godlike because unfortunately we left it off our list so. <laughs> Yeah, that is a very good point. And I think there's one other game that we mentioned, which is unfortunate considering one of our guests, but I don't recall us talking about Silver Age Sentinels. We have not. Uh, we were, I was going to jump into that and we, uh, we got off, off track there, but Silver Age Sentinels. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, can we, you talk us a little, just to give us the five second overview of what that's about? Well, um, Silver Age Sentinels was basically the application. Guardians of Order took their TriStat system, which had started out with, um, uh, big guy, small, small mouth, mouth, which was their anime game. You know, anime obviously has, you know, a very strong familial relationship with comic books. And unsurprisingly, their, the, the core of their anime system, you know, worked very well as a, as a superhero game. If you just, you know, changed a few of the names around and, you know, whatnot. So they made that into the basis of a, a superhero game they called Silver Age Sentinels. I wrote the history of comics and the game mastering chapters for that game. And they, um, Guardians did a, you know, their own, um, superhero setting, uh, that they, they were starting on called Empire City. The game was off to a, a, a promising start, but the, the difficulties that, that Guardians had themselves, right, uh, made, ultimately made it, um, unviable. Um, and they also, they were also in the weird, um, uh, situation of trying to do um, both a D20 edition and a Tristat edition of the same game at the same time and support both of them. They were doing them. that with most of their lines, weren't they? Like, the yeah. Mouth had a D20 and... Well, Silver Age Sentinels is notable for one other thing, too, is that they did a uh, a crossover with Champions. Uh, they did. And it was one of the first I'd ever seen that actually took two completely separate universes and smashed them together in a single big you know, yeah. production, it's- and it was quite good. It's, it's frankly kind of shocking that it took as long as it did. Yeah. Uh, given, given the, the, you know, the tendency for crossovers in the, in the right. comics. I also have to mention that, uh, Silver Age Sentinels has some really strong fiction anthologies for it. Oh, yes. Ed Greenwood wrote for them. Yes. Under, under the guidance, uh, the capable guidance of Jim Louder, um, Silver Age Sentinels did turn out some, some pretty fine superhero fiction. Yeah, Ed Greenwood, uh, previous guest, John Kovolik wrote for them. Mm-hmm. Sweet. And I wanted to point out something you said that they, it's based on a original universe. They did have one license that they used as they used the foundation of this game for the other game. Yes. Uh, they had the license for Warren Ellis's The Authority. Yes. Which, by the way, is a beautiful book. If you ever get a chance to see it. That's true. I'm a huge Warren Ellis fan. I think they also did the Psycho or the, there was another like similar, uh, the Knight. I can't remember the name of it. There was one other comic book they did as well for that. Uh, That I'm not familiar with. 
Yeah, unfortunately, I can't remember the name. <laughs> I hate it when that happens. I, I can but, see yeah, the, the cover in my head. The, the Authority book is gorgeous. I'm actually looking at it on my shelf right now. Uh, I'm so jealous of Steve's comments. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so that is a pretty comprehensive list. We we did forget to mention Double Cross uh, just briefly, which is a brand new 2013 translation of a Japanese role-playing game. Yeah, that, that game's been out in Japan for about a decade now at this point, right. and it just got released last year with its first English translation. So uh, that's something you might want to look into if you're into cool. the manga-style superhero and games. And lastly, there's AMP, uh, AMP, which is a new mm-hmm. Kickstarter being run by Eloy Lasanta of Third Eye Games. That is going to bring us pretty. I, I think we've we covered a lot in two hours. Uh, I think we did yeah. really well. Um, so let's. I think we did better on this than we did on Cyberpunk. We totally did. Yeah. <laughs> we're gonna we're we're getting we're getting to our last call. So let's uh, let's have you guys tell the listening listeners uh, what your latest thing is and where they can find out more about you on the interwebs. Uh, why don't we start with Scott, Mister Benny? Well, I've been working on a uh, Canada's little mini source book for M&M. So that will hopefully be all wrapped up this week and uh, and put into layout and printed. There's going to be a, a series of little world gazetters and, uh, and coming out for M&M, which Steve can talk a little bit more about, mm-hmm. given he did a great job with the U.S. one. Uh, I'm also working on a novel, which is kind of a bog-standard fantasy novel, which I don't need to get into. And there's also the <laughs> long work on follow-up Gestalt, which I need to Yay. just bear down up on and do the final character conversions and probably revamp the whole timeline since it's <laughs> so much. Yeah, it's just wonderful that that book got published at all, and I'm so so glad to have a copy of it. Yes, I'm and looking forward to knowing that there's a sequel, too. You know, I want to just quickly point out one last thing, you know, since I'm such a, a goober for Scott Benny's work. The fourth edition Viper book. Love it. Love it to death. And the thing in Champions, Viper is basically Hydra and it fights a, a group called uh, Primus, which is basically a shield. And the Viper books for fourth edition, I thought, did a wonderful job of going through all the tropes that you would expect to find of, you know, a Hydra-like organization but the best is the twist at the end. The twist at the end is you find out that the guy running Hydra, or in this case, Viper. Spoiler alert. Yeah, spoiler alert. You find out that he's actually uh, an artificial intelligence, and he and the, the AI that's running Primus, or S.H.I.E.L.D. in this case, they're just having a chess game. That's what this whole deal is about. <laughs> is they're, they're, they're playing this game against each other using their organizations as chess pieces. That was brilliant. So thank you so much, Scott, for... Coming up yeah, with some awesome we stuff. Did, we did change that in fifth ed. Yeah, let's yeah. let's let's talk about the fourth edition version because that's my favorite. Because <laughs> knowing is half the battle. That's totally I true. I actually prefer the fifth ed, but my but uh, the opinions are different on that. So. Okay. Well, all I will say then is I I love the twist that you put in there at the end. That's and where can we find you on the interwebs? Generally, I don't really have much of a home. You you can find me on Facebook. Uh, I do have an author's page, Scott Benny on there that uh, I occasionally update. Uh, usually when I finish a chapter in the novel, I'll put something up there. So, All right. or, or I'll occasionally whine and moan and bitch like <laughs> any other author uh, when they're going through a depressed bit. But, uh, That's pretty much what Facebook is for. <laughs> Facebook, it yep. should be called psych- Psychotherapy Book. Uh, well, I hope I can run into you sometime. 
political rant book. Uh. <laughs> Are you going to be at Gen Con this year, Scott? Uh, I wish I could. Uh, I won't be. That's oh, a bummer. I've, I've got my Champions 3D signed by Scott Heine. I've got it signed by Alan Varney. I need to track you down. <laughs> Maybe one day. All right. And Steve, uh, what's your latest thing? Well, one of my latest things is is um, also Scott's latest thing. We're launching a new series called um, the Atlas of Earth Prime cool. uh, for uh, Mutants and Masterminds that is basically a, a a broader look at the the world occupied by um, Freedom City and Emerald City. And starting with uh, the United States, which I wrote the, the overview of that, um, followed by um, Scott's overview of Canada. We're basically just going to take different geographic areas and um, do a, you know, roughly 10 page mini source book on it, you know, wow. cover some of the high points of it. Uh, now, Scott, Scott is actually a champion of the North. He is indeed. That's it's precisely uh, the reason why we wanted to ask him to do the uh, Canada source because he's from there. Absolutely, and we've we've been um, recruiting local authors as much as we can um, um, for uh, the various regions. Alex Melkor um, has also turned in a terrific draft for Mexico, um, which has all sorts of really fun stuff in it. It's it's going to be a lot of fun. If you need one for Texas, I am available for hire. <laughs> well, if, if Texas ever reclaims its sovereign status, <laughs> you will be the first one we'll call. All right. <clears throat> That's been the, the primary thing. I'm also working on uh, the, other, the other big project for, for me this year is the, the, uh, the new edition of Freedom City. Sweet. So I've been going through updating, gathering lots of information, collecting notes, Comp- compiling, revising for putting out a big new um, Freedom City book in the summer. That is awesome. Um, and where can we find you on the web? I have a website at stevekenson.com, um, which is my my sadly somewhat neglected blog um, where I haven't posted anything for a few months. I need to get back on that. But right now it's mostly um, news about icons and their little side projects that I'm doing. Occasionally I blog about stuff. And uh, I'm on, like lots of people, I'm on Facebook and things like that. Brilliant. Well, I can't wait to see what you guys come up with for Eminem. Um, it's exciting to see. Yeah, it's going to be a good year. It's exciting to see some of my favorite authors working on on stuff together. So uh, once again, Daryl and I want to extend our gratitude to you for joining us on the show tonight. It's been wonderful having you on. A pleasure. It's been an honor. Thank you very much. Well, we'd love to have you back sometime. Well, you know where to find me. <laughs> I do. Well, now we do. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, to get a hold of too. Do you guys have any last thing you want to say about super RPGs before we close the tavern and, and wave goodbye? Uh, just go out there and play them and play MMOs, play, uh, go, go out on Google and look for some hideouts. Just uh, go in there and be a hero, as the old hero gang used to say. <laughs> All right. Yeah, absolutely. Those are good words to close on. Uh, thank you guys for joining us tonight. And we now, uh, I think our final words now we're saying are, may all your hits. Well, be- I have one other thing oh, wait. I well, would like not, to say not. about superhero gaming. <laughs> Excelsior. Oh, there we go. <laughs> that is indeed the final word. So that just about wraps things up for this episode of the Gamers Tavern. Next week, our guests will be Jamie Stegmeyer and Mac Martin as we discuss crowdfunding and what you need to know before you back a Kickstarter or start your own. Jamie actually currently has a Kickstarter going to expand his worker placement board game, Viticulture. 
and it's been astoundingly successful, bringing in almost $300,000 so far. It's still going for another, I think, week and a half. So if you want to check it out, go to kickstarter.com and search for Tuscany. Now, comments. I do address two issues that popped up commented on by these are the first ones i noticed joe russell and leanne harris amongst others yes we're off schedule right now my day job is getting insanely busy right now because it's tax season and i have a tax kind of a job so it kind of delayed me in some of the editing i'm so sorry Uh, we've also got a couple of secret projects that i've been working on doing some recordings for and a lot of you know prep work for them that's why we brought assistant editor nicholas jaworski on board to help me out by doing well technical stuff that'll bore you unless you're into audio engineering and editing anyway episode 23 and 24 swapped places in broadcast order uh if you're looking at this later like you're going through our archives you're probably not going to notice but yeah we swapped those and then gamers tavern game table and this podcast got delayed so that's why we brought nicholas on board i'm so sorry about the delay and slip in schedule hopefully it will not happen again that's why we're taking measures to prevent it now we also have perennial commenter the grumpy Kelt, who says how about an episode on time traveling game uh i i think i might be able to knock this one out right now don't do it you know the old gaming proverb if you stat it they will kill it time travel is that on fucking crack pcp and bath salts temptation to screw with history is just too strong for most players and unless the game in question has a crap load of rules in place to deal with paradoxes paradoxi paradoxes Anyway, it's just an organizational nightmare for the GM. We might look into doing more on that topic along with some other things that go along with it, but that should hold you for a little while. The Celts also commented on episode 24, our episode about creating interesting player characters. I am a fan of Elizabeth Bear and Joanna Gaskell, so a very solid episode, sir. My favorite characters come with built-in tension or contradiction. For example, my favorite wizard was one based on Bluto from Animal House, and my favorite Nosferatu was one who had been a male model and porn star. Uh, which, if you don't know, Vampire the Masquerade Nosferatu get, you know, supernaturally transformed into big icky monsters. So... Yeah, thank you again for the praise. Uh, the contradictions in playing against type can be great for characters. Uh, and your Nosferatu character actually kind of reminds me somewhat of what I'm trying to do with Babysitter over at the game table. He was a company man. He was raised inside the corporation, by the corporation. And even if he was slightly separate from them when he was working for them, when he got kicked out, it was like a big culture shock to him. He had known Shadowrunners, but he didn't know what it was like to be in the shadows. And if you listen to episode five of the game table, you saw at the end, it was kind of, yeah, we were all laughing and having a good time and everything, but in my head, his actions make perfect sense and he did not find it fun or funny. It was complete panic. Uh, I'm hoping to have a short story up about his point of view of the events at the end of episode five of game table. So if you're interested in that, go ahead and check that out. It should be up hopefully sometime this week. And finally, we got a comment on our website that says, 
the planet are in fact secret by having temperate garden, which are typically beautiful, including a jungle that is definitely certainly profigurate, featuring so a lot of systems. By way of example, the game courses golf approach and in addition, private pools. Hotel reviews. So yeah, that, that was actually caught by our spam filter. Good job, spam filter. But that was just fucking hilarious to me for some reason. And I wanted to share it with you before I permanently banished it to the land of fuck you spam. <sighs> anyway, uh, if you'd like to leave your legitimate non-spammy comments on the show, visit us at gamerstavern.org, where you'll also be able to find other podcasts as well as many blog posts on the various gaming subjects. You can also support the show by visiting Gamers Tavern store located at our website or by clicking on the donate button, visiting our sponsors, liking us on Facebook at facebook.com slash gamers tavern, or reviewing us on iTunes. If you would like to meet us in person, Ross and I will both be at Animation Celebration in Galveston, Texas on July 4th weekend. So go to animationcelebration-galveston.com slash home for more information about that convention. This podcast is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 4.0 license. Music credits can be found in our show notes at gamerstavern.org. Until next time, the tavern is closed.